You're listening to the Ellis Rugby Podcast, the rugby heritage brand. Visit ellisrugby.com for our superb range of rugby heritage-inspired fashion wear. We offer both rugby union and rugby league-inspired garments, as well as our core Ellis Rugby-branded collections. All our clothing ranges are produced using classic fabrics, traditional appliques, prints and embroidery. Ellis Rugby, the rugby heritage brand. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce today's guest on the Ellis Rugby podcast, Malcolm Reilly, OBE. Malcolm, as a player, was a trailblazer of the English game, dominating Australian Rugby League while leading Castleford with great success. As both a player and a coach, he has won most honours on both sides of the world, including the Challenge Cup and during his spell with Manly, the Australian Grand Final. A classic loose forward and a member of the last Great Britain team to win an Ashes series, terrorising the Australian and New Zealand forwards on the near-flawless 1970 tour. His playing career with Castleford took in 316 appearances, including nine finals over a 19-year period and two spells, scoring 68 tries, nine goals and four drop goals. A real pleasure to have you on the podcast, Malcolm. How's things going with lockdown, really? Are you coping okay with it? Yeah, mate, struggling a little bit. You know, it's 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 not so bad, uh, but... Um... You know, there's no social aspects, is there? No, you know, the pubs no. are closed. You, you've got to be careful shopping. Yeah, uh, yeah it's it's a difficult times, unprecedented, but we'll hopefully get through them. Yeah, um, you're still managing managing to keep your fitness regime going. I've got I've got a pair of dumbbells in the garage that I'm I'm, I'm flogging, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with with that aspect as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is hard times anyway. Mm. Um, just, um, you know, on today's podcast, what I want to do is sort of have a chat through uh, your wonderful playing career, uh, starting in the early days. Now, uh, I think you were born in Preston in 1948 um, and you moved to Kippox when you were four yes. years old. And I, I, think, right, yeah. I think very much sort of soccer was your passion in your junior years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. I... Um... I played uh, I played soccer for Kippix Welfare, uh, and then it was really an accident that I came about to be playing with the league because the buses departed from the same venue, and the soccer game was postponed. So as a 19 year old, I jumped onto the um, the rugby league coach, and we played Unslit at Unslit, uh, and and that was that. Basically, I came back the following week and. Instead of going into the shocker changing rooms, I went into the league changing rooms. Yeah, well, yeah. F- fantastic for rugby league, really. Um, I think you were at um, uh, at uh, Ashton Road Secondary Modern School at Castleford, and your teacher there was a chap called Roy Close, who, who was quite an influence, really, on your early career. Yes, he was. Yeah, you know, as, going back to as an eleven-year-old, um, he, he was our, our math teacher also. Uh, and he gave me some really good advice because he, uh, at one stage, he caught me copying in 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 the in the classroom, and he um, he held me back after the lesson and uh, invited me. No, sorry, I, I, first of all, invited me to to sit down next to him and and then uh, continue with this mental arithmetic 
quiz and and uh, I finished up getting two out of twenty right. He 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 kept showing me the answers and and I was daft enough to to copy off him uh, and eventually uh, well you know it, it learned me a lesson. Uh, you know if you're going to do anything in life, make sure you you you, you, you um, you do it for yourself and, and not for others. Yeah, I must admit, I did a bit of copying as well when I was at school, really, but you never <laughs> win from it as well, do you? No. Uh, just that, no. that particular school uh, generated quite a lot of great cast players, um, you know, during its sort of history, and quite a lot of those actually you played with during your career as well. Yeah, there, there, there was quite a few there. Uh, there was also the boys' modern school was uh, well. Alan Hardesty uh, w- went to Ashton Road, I think, and Keith Epworth, Bill Bryant, I'm pretty sure, went there. Uh, th- these are our sole names around the Castlewood area, as far as football is concerned. Yeah, yeah. I think Johnny Ward and Clive Dickinson as well. Yeah, that but that'd be right too. It was a good a good breeding. Now. They had a guy called Percy White as long as well as Roy Close. Uh, but Roy was a good tutor and um he um you know he helped me a lot. You also played with uh, another famous uh, uh, uh uh youngster who actually moved to OKR and had a wonderful career over there, and that was Roger Millward. Absolutely, yeah. He 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 became a, a really good friend of mine and uh uh, Roger went to the boys' modern school initially, and then he moved on to the grammar school. And I think he played a lot of rugby union there, not league. But uh, he, he soon got uh, snapped up. Uh, Castleford signed him actually to start off with, and then, and then because Alan Ardesty was at the club, and he, he, his, his chances of first team football was was. Um, Limited, he, he accepted, and the club accepted a transfer to Old Kingston, uh, and uh, yeah, we, we were really good mates. Yeah, well, there, I mean, the rest is history. I mean, Roger was a wonderful, wonderful player, and a really lovely bloke as well. I had the pleasure to meet him some time ago, uh, sadly before his, his, his he died, but really, really nice chap actually. Yeah, if I was to pick, you know, it's very difficult to pick the best player you've ever come across. But Roger would definitely be in the first three, and the others would would be Bob Fulton and probably Andrew Jones from Australia, uh, and Bob from Australia. But Roger was he was brilliant. Yeah. Now uh, I think he signed for Cass uh, on the fifteenth of May, nineteen sixty-seven, age nineteen. Uh, can you remember your debut? I think it was Onslet away. I can't remember much about the game, but but I know I did enjoy it. I think there was one. I think there was a game before that actually, where you played in a benefit match uh, again. Strangely enough, uh, OKR, um, as we just mentioned, and and Roger turned out in that game for OKR, uh, and you had a bit of a um, a, a dust up. Uh, well, almost a dust up with Big Artie Beats and Rel. It was a bit of a joke because it was a wet. Muddy day and and uh, he, he um, in one particular tackle he came in second man and pushed my face into the mud and said welcome to rugby league <laughs> you know yeah. uh, but we were good mates and it was just a bit of fun and of course you'd come up against Artie many times in his uh, in his career both both of a club and country I did yeah he he he, he was he he was. Um, he was probably one of the best forwards Australia has ever produced. Uh, great ball handler. Um, 
are very aggressive on the field. You know, his nature changed once he crossed that white line and, and uh, yeah, he was outstanding. Yeah. Now, I think head coach at the time was uh, Rocky Turner. Was he a big influence on your career as well? Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> he used to use me as an assassin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he thought I was him, you know, because uh, Derek's got a reputation. Uh, along with Curalius and people like that, and, but he used to he used to pick out players in the opposition, and then he says, "Listen, this is what he used to follow me to the toilet and smash me against the wall, and said, this is what I want you to do.'" And I thought, Christ Almighty, if I don't do it, he's, he's you know he's uh, he's quite an aggressive guy. Uh, so I I took his instructions and and uh, we got on with it and. I was a little bit of an assassin at the time, you know. I had to take people out. The game's changed dramatically now than than what it was, but yeah, it was. Um, and and I was subduing the key players in the opposition, uh, but it, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, sort of uh, second season there, you had your first uh, taste of uh, silverware with an eight-five victory over Lee in the nineteen. Uh, 67 BBC Floodlit Trophy, uh, which was at Headingley Stadium, which is fantastic. You know, you just signed for the club uh, and immediately, you know, you're bringing silverware. It must have been a fantastic feeling for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, that that season uh, w- w- was tremendous. Uh, uh, and beating beating uh, Lee, you know, was, uh, was a start of the Floodlit competition. It was a uh, pretty decent competition in those days. Uh, but, I mean, it was also 68-69 season where we won at Wembley as well. 1968-69 season, uh, it was the Yorkshire Cup. And I think you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that the BBC uh, Floodlit Trophy was a big tournament. The Yorkshire Cup was massive in that uh, era as well. Um, yes, it was. I, 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 I you know, enjoyed playing it a number numerous times. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you got through to the final of that and you were beaten by Leeds 22-11. But that disappointment soon disappeared, uh, as you you, you mentioned earlier, that you'd got through to the Challenge Cup final, um, you know, which was, you know, towards the end of the season. Uh, Salford were the opponents uh, and you really, really made your mark on the game. Yeah, I, 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 I recollect it um, vividly. It was um, in front of 96,000 people. Uh, and yeah, I was, I, 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 um, I had a great understanding with Alan Ardesty uh, from the base of the scrum. And one of the rehearsed moves we used to do on a regular basis was um, I'd take the ball off Keith Epworth uh, in Alan's position. And Alan would would come from behind the scrum from where I used to be at loose forward, and 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 I'd take out this standoff and 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 pop the ball up for Alan, and we scored one of the tries in that game off off that, which was um, you know uh, it was a, 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 a 
it was successful anyway. Yeah, yeah. I did notice it, actually. I was watching the game yesterday because I knew we were doing this interview and it was, I think you break off the scrum, epi pass to you. You managed to sort of just get the defence to, to, to come on to you, offloaded to Alan Hardesty who went through and then he managed to get it away to Keith Howe who did brilliantly well, Keith, to go, because he actually got taken to ground but managed to get back on his feet and score in the corner. But it was a lovely, like you say, it was a lovely worked move. Yeah, it was a rehearsed rehearse move, yeah. Well, we we had a great understanding with, with Alan and it went on to, you know, when Roger was playing internationally with me, I'd, we, we had a good understanding. So I think it's pretty important that, you know, where that triangle's come half lock forward and, and stand off, you know, uh, in, in, that, in those positions... Uh, you've got to create, uh, you know, a really good understanding. Yeah. I have to say my favourite was the second try, though. <laughs> it was where, I mean, it's incredible, really, when I watched it again yesterday. I, I do remember it at the time where you managed to uh, flip uh, the Salford scrum half Jack Brennan over your shoulders uh, yeah. get through, <laughs> wriggle your way through a Colin Dixon yeah. tackle and then offload to Alan again. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, that was, that was as, as I say, it was rehearsed, uh, but I, I finished up with him on my back and, and uh, I thought there's only one way to do this, so I put the brakes on and he went over the top. <laughs> I must admit, yeah. I tried it with my uh, with my brother sort of a few days after and it didn't work out quite as well, but, uh, you know, it was one <laughs> of those, you know, sort of iconic scars uh, and one of those, you know, strange situations where you see this little halfback flying in the air, really. So uh, fantastic to watch. You, you, you can't rehearse that, uh, really, in a... In a you know, a p- unopposed game, can you? It's 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 just match day what happens but yeah it was instinct and and uh, it was um, really good for us <laughs> yeah I think uh, Johnny Ward set up the final try for Keith Hepworth but that you know the day was a magic day for you personally because of course you won the Landstod trophy as well yeah yeah special special um, occasion you know winning that trophy uh, but you know, you could have picked three or four players out of the side at that particular game to to win it. I was uh, I was fortunate. Uh, moving on to the following year, and and success followed you again. First of all, you you you, you got your first England caps, uh, and I think you got a comfortable victory over uh, Wales in what was uh, the European Championship there, twenty six seven. And then you went over to France, uh, which was a, a much tougher game. France were a, a much better team uh, in those days than they are now. Yeah, you, you needed. Uh, uh be able to move your head 180 degrees uh, <laughs> with them because uh, there was one particular, I forget his name now, but one of the French forwards, he, um, he was taking you from the back and, and so you had to be very, very careful. Uh, and, and I think in, in one game he, he, he caught me badly and, and uh, I got concussed, but, uh, next time I, 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 I we played them probably it was, uh, the next year or even the home game when we played France I that's quite things up so I think it was a chap called Jean-Pierre Clare from uh, that's from exactly memory. right Jean-Pierre Clare yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, so so you've made your international debut, which uh, you know, which had been a success, and then again for the second year running, uh, you got through to the Challenge Cup final, and you were playing against a good Wigan team, uh, uh, much tougher, really. I think uh, this game uh, than the Salford game. Do you think? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, you know what? I, uh, it doesn't stand out as as much to me as as it was the Salford game. I I can't remember too much about it to be truthful. Yeah, I know you, but there are only a couple of changes to the team. I think Ian Stenson had come into the centres, um, and uh, I think there was one pack change. I don't think Johnny Ward played. Um, so Mick Redfern had moved up to prop, and uh, Bill Kirkbride had come in the second row. And it was Bill, actually, who won the Landstar Trophy as well. Yeah, that's right, he did, yeah. And on the bench, they had Danny Argrave and a, a young knocker as well, Steve Norton on the Steve bench. Steve Norton, yeah. yeah. And the game, the game, like you say, probably wasn't as open as the uh, Salford game and as an entertaining, but I think the winning score was uh, Alan Lowndes when he got over for a try in the corner uh, and Mick Redfern kicked over a couple of goals as well. That's right, yeah. Coming back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I had to watch it again myself. Yeah, uh, you know, on TV, and that was a good Wigan team as well. I mean, ultimately, I'd have her skippered by your uh, Great Britain colleague Doug Lawton. Yeah, Bill Francis was was playing for Wigan as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I didn't know Bill Francis was a, a local as well. He, he was a, a cast boy, was he? He was, yeah. I think he came from the Ferbiston area, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that at all. I thought he was a Lancastrian. He got transferred over there. Uh, right, moving on to the 1970 uh, tour, you know, the big uh, Ashes series with the Australians and, of course, um, you know, the trip against the um, uh, over to New Zealand to play the Kiwis. Now, I, I just want to put this into some context as well, because, um, you know, before 1970, uh, the last uh, successful Ashes winning team had been 1962, and that had been led by Eric Ashton, and that included, you know, former Lions greats, Billy Boston, Neil Fox, Alex Murphy, Johnny Whiteley. Uh, and following this, we'd lost the home series in 1963, lost down under in 1966, and again in 1967, uh, the Aussie had uh, triumphed on English soil. So going into the 1970 series, would it be fair to say that we were underdogs? I think we were, yeah. Uh, we were probably underdogs, yeah. But we 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 developed into in, into a really good squad, and you know, when playing with people like Roger Millward and Cliff Watts and Clive Sullivan, and of course Alan Ardis, you know, uh, it, it, we had some outstanding players. Doug, I, I was vying for lot for position with Doug Lawton and, and Jimmy Thompson, and Dougie finished up playing in the second row, and, and myself a lot forward, but. Yeah, I can vividly remember the games, and they were tough. But but we had a really tough side, you know. The front row was was awesome: Dennis Hartley, Tony Fisher, and Cliff Watson. And being at the lock forward, you know, you you um, you, you you sort of you could sense it. every time we had a scrum, the opposition front row were were frightened. You know, they were really because Dennis uh, and Tony and Cliff were. They were brutal. Uh, they, they didn't. It, they went. There was no loose head and uh, our head. Your feet. They took it every time. And and uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> I was just 
with my hands on the screw at that, feeling the vibration as they clashed into the opposition front row. Yeah, yeah. but the the Australian team, you know, because again, it's worth mentioning uh, their team. You know, they were no mugs, really. They had Graham Langlands in the team, Artie Beetson, who we spoke about earlier, Ron Coote, Billy Smith, and of course, ultimately, you know, would become a great friend of yours, Bob Fulton as well. And those players were all inducted into the Australian Rugby League Hall of Fame. So it was a pretty good side you were up against. It was. It was a tough, a tough, a tough um, opposition uh, in the in the test games, uh, and and in the club sides too. You know, we um, I think we only we only dropped two games in in the end, out of twenty six games on tour. Now, uh, you be, I think you began the trip up uh, in Darwin against Northern Territory, and then and then you played Townsville, Rockhampton. Um, and then uh, the, the week before the test, it was Queensland in Brisbane. But, you know, Queensland uh, are not, you know, like the Queensland team of today because obviously a lot of their better players from Queensland at that point were playing in the New South Wales competition. But you did play in front of a crowd of 17,000 in Brisbane and you beat them comfortably 32-7. Now, bearing in mind that you'd done Darwin, Northern Territory, Townsville, etc., do you think it was good preparation for the first test or maybe did you feel that you were just a little bit unprepared? I think that was. The, the, I think the Australians uh, worked it out that way. Uh, we, we were a little bit unprepared, but uh, fortunately for us, we, we, we had two really good squads. Um, you know, the, the midweek team and 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 the the weekend major game side, as such. You know, with some adjustments, but it was definitely um, it was you know, you know the, the the scheduled. Uh, Games were they were they were placed there to to get us to to you know to fall for you know the, the test matches because there's such a big gap between the teams we've been playing coming down and to to the um, the test matches of the first test in Brisbane. Yeah, and a lot of travelling as well. You know, Darwin, Northern Territory, Townsville. You know, you were going all over the uh, Australia. Yeah, we, we, we lost that first didn't we? Uh, you did, yeah. Now, it was 43,000 sellout crowd and you lost 37-15. Uh, now, I have watched the game over, the full game, and, and and you didn't play that badly at times. You know, you played some great rugby and I thought that the score just perhaps flattered the Australians a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you're quite right too, but I don't think that was the, 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 the main problem. It wasn't the, the, how good Australia was, is that I think we'd played some of the teams coming down, um, and the, the some of the players who had been in that the, those early games had played well, but against fairly ordinary opposition. And when you got down to Brisbane and into New South Wales, it was a lot tougher game. And uh, we found out, you know, the men from the boys, and that was Johnny Whiteley, of course. You know, uh, he had a selection. A selection panel that he he, he um, that they use on a on a game to game basis, and I, I think they got it wrong that first part. Uh, hence, the, the, you know the bad result in the first test. But when we started identifying the people who really could under pressure perform, you know we won the second and of course the third test. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think what what you know, following that game, you were you played Toowoomba uh, and then Brisbane before travelling to Sydney to play New South Wales. Now, I, I, I again read through the scores. I've not seen the New South Wales game, but uh, to me, looking at the teams, this was virtually another Test match. And a New South Wales team featured all those players that I've mentioned: Langland, Smith, O'Reilly, uh, Coote in their lineup. And I think half time you were down. Six points to two. But in the second half, you turned it around. And although the final score finished 17 uh, uh, 17, um, you must have taken a lot from that turnaround because. You know, you outscored what was virtually a full Aussie test team in their own backyard uh, by three tries to one, having been down at half time. Uh, so my, my, I just wonder if that was the that was the change, really, where you'd gone from that disappointing, uh, you know, first test defeat and suddenly you'd become ardent test match players. I, I think another aspect of it was that we were training on a daily, day-to-day basis, and uh, Johnny Whiteley did a great job with us, uh, and of course Frank Myler as captain of the side on most of the games. Yeah, we 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 became a lot fitter, and we adjusted to the the conditions too. The conditions were really good underfoot, as opposed to coming from a, a, a an England winter, and. Uh, you know, playing in in modern that. So I think the entire side and and, and players they started performing better because of their fitness levels. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, I mean, like you say, Johnny and uh, and the uh, committee uh, uh, selection committee made some, you know, quite major changes to the team. They brought in Derek Edwards at fullback for Prize, and then Alan Smith came on the wing for Clive Sullivan, Sid Hines in the centre. And probably one of the biggest, well, two of the biggest changes, uh, uh, Roger Millward came in for Alan Ardesty. And then the front row, uh, I think, as you've mentioned, Big Dennis came in, uh, Tony Fisher, Jimmy Thompson, and those three came in for Chisnell, Flanagan and Robinson. All fantastic players. But I did read Alan Ardesty's autobiography and, and Alan was, you know, quite humble and said, you know, this was Roger's time. Uh, and he was sensational, was Roger, wasn't he? He, he was. He was he, he was a terrific player. He, he had everything, you know. I, I rate him, you know, in, in, in the top three players I've ever played with, the coach or whatever, you know, along with uh, with Bob Fulton, uh yeah, Roger was he was uh, he was outstanding, and uh, yeah, he was he, he was one of the best players on the tour. Yeah, yeah, and and of course you won that second test with a magnificent performance, twenty eight points to seven, uh, and again you outscored the Aussies uh, four tries to one, and <laughs> which which I know uh, you know will will gripe with you. You had to uh, cope with a twelve five penalty count against you. Yeah, I think the referees right the way through, you know, through Australia were a little bit one-sided, but uh, we did we did our best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to make it even worse, you got Sid Hines sent off as well. So uh, you know, for a period, you were you were playing with twelve players. So you know, yeah. all in all, a, a wonderful performance. Yeah, it was it was magical. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you then played uh, four matches in eight days. <laughs> it's a crazy tour schedule, is this? It was uh, Bathurst, Sydney, Newcastle and Wagga Wagga. 
Um, and I think, if anything, it, it just showed what a tremendous spirit you had in the squad. You know, you know, four matches uh, in eight days was was unbelievable, really. I, I think that you know the Australian um, that, that they they didn't rig it, but they they made sure that it, it wasn't going to be an easy tour for us. You know, back to back games like that. Uh, Unfortunately, we didn't have too many injuries, so we managed to get through. And then the big, the big one. Um, it was uh, the third test. You know, fourth of July, nineteen seventy, at the SCG in front of sixty-one thousand. Um, and you know, you beat the Aussies twenty-one seventeen. And again, with this, I don't think you know that the scoreline does justice to this outstanding performance. It was five tries to one in this uh, victory, five tries to one. And again, you had to cope with a fifteen-eight penalty count against you as well. Yeah, I think you know, like I said earlier, the referees were uh, were pretty biased, but uh, we got through with a great bunch of, bunch of players. Great team spirit. It was your pal, uh, Big Dennis Hartley, uh, who got the got the team off to the perfect start. Uh, I don't know if you recall, he, he sort of charged uh, charged down a kick by one of the Aussies. That's right. Yeah, he did. not just managed to get to the line. <laughs> so a great ambassador, great player, great friend, yeah. Fabulous. Um, you know, both, uh, I think we've again touched on Roger, uh, Probably him and John Atkinson, you know, arguably had the best games in the Lions jersey that day. Yeah, the, I mean, I mean, Roger, his performance. John's a great finisher. John Atkinson, a great finisher, and uh, he was always dangerous for the opposition. He had plenty of pace. He had size. He had, his, you know, his his footwork was good. But Roger was uh, an immense player. Only small, but you know, capable of doing anything. He'd kick in game. He. His big trouble was that he, he sometimes it, it it took things too far defensively. Uh, uh, he used to launch himself at players, and you know his his game was attacking and and uh, you know uh, playing open football. And 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 I think he got involved too heavily in defence on in some in some instances. But he just for such a small guy, he had such a big art. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, to finish uh, the tour in Australia, <laughs> again, going back to the Aussie administrators, that the, the following day they'd organised a, a game in Wollongong, would you believe? <laughs> it was just yeah, crazy. It really was. <laughs> now, um, one thing I want to touch on, uh, you know, I know we did mention it uh, sort of off the podcast, was uh, there was a, a bit of, you know, sort of trouble for you uh, on that 1970 uh, tour. Um, how did that occur? And and I understand there was sort of some court action taken against you. Yeah, there was. There were a couple of instances, but uh, yeah, I was fairly firing myself. I'll admit that, you know. Uh, I, but uh, I didn't like being called a pommy bastard for a start. <laughs> yeah. uh, that that was when it, it did. It finished up in the Crown Court with the barrister representing me and. In the Sydney, um, we won the cost. Uh, we won the the case, uh, but it was at a cost. And the players finished up all helping to pay the barristers' fees. I think it was something like twenty six pound each, which was at that time a lot of money in those days. Uh, but yeah, um, I, 
I did, I did show. I've, I've got to admit, I did, I did have a short fuse, uh, and uh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like being called that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was a, a punch up in a bar, was it? Uh, you know, with an Aussie who was mouthing it off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Um, like I said, there were a couple of instances. Uh, but, um, you, you know, I was just walking down the road one day, and 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 there's a guy behind me, guy who played for South Sydney, Kevin Longbottom, uh, and uh, he was verbally abusing me, and I took so much, and that was that was it. I couldn't take any more. So yeah, I, I was uh, re- reading uh, your autobiography on there, and there was quite an amusing story about it actually. And uh, I, I think they tried a couple of times to serve papers on you, uh, and, yeah. and obviously all the teammates were trying uh, uh, to avoid that. And there was one where <laughs> they'd sent a, a young girl uh, on on the flight, um, and they did a tannoy call over the over the flight. Is that right? It is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, they said, would Malcolm really please uh, put his hand up and I think all the 26 players, well, 25 because I didn't put mine up, 25 players put their hand up and and she just shook her head and walked off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic story. I love that. Couldn't, I really love it. Yeah. Couldn't go. Yeah. Uh, so you'd finished in Australia, you know, you'd uh, you'd won the Ashes, um, and it, uh, the, the, you'd sort of continued the tour on to New Zealand, and uh, this part of the tour, um, it'd seen, you know, a lot of the former Great Britain teams uh, actually come and stuck in New Zealand. I think uh, 62 lost both test matches, 58 lost a test match over there. So it must have been really hard for the players, having done so brilliantly well in Australia, uh, you know, to keep the focus uh, in New Zealand. I, I think the, the climate was a little bit different in New Zealand. Uh, uh, but uh no i i i think we we didn't we didn't fall down in that department i don't think because by that time there was a great team spirit um going on you know and we we knew when we went out there that we were going to win and we were very confident uh and i i i don't think we we lost a game and did we draw draw one game in new zealand uh, uh, no, I think you won all the games actually. The, yeah. the first test you won nineteen fifteen, and and it suggests yeah. a tight game. But it was one of those again where you know the Lions scored five tries to a single Kiwi try, uh, and it was virtually the same team that had defeated the uh, uh, Aussies, um, uh, you know, in the final test. But I think you brought Barry Seaborn in at scrum half, uh, and Mick Shoebottom, uh, who made a great impact, strangely enough, in the strange position for. Mick at fullback as well so yeah i think johnny uh, johnny whiteley had uh, had sort of tam- you know played with the the squad uh, and uh, mick Shubon seemed to do brilliantly at fullback mm. yeah there was there was there was quite a number of players that were versatile and and being able to switch around you know positions wise but john did a great job he was a, a terrific coach and uh, you know he had the respect of all the players that that's really important 
Yeah, yeah. So you went on, you, I think you beat West Coast in uh, Greymouth before you travelled to, to Auckland for the second and the final test match. Now, that this game wasn't straightforward at all and the Kiwis led uh, 11 points to two at half-time. And I think you must have been a little concerned at that stage, but whatever was said at half-time, it had the desired result. Um, and I, I don't know if you remember the game, but you scored seven tries uh, to brush the Kiwis aside. Just a, a remarkable turnaround from being down 11 to at half-time. I, I think it was, you know, obviously John, he, 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 um, I think sometimes we went into some of the games underprepared and, and uh, then we were, were shocked to, to find ourselves in situations, you know, behind on the scoreboard. Uh, but we always had, you know, the players there that could, could finish it just a matter of putting it together and getting the confidence going. And, um, oh, I, I think, you know, it was a great squad of players, as you said. It's the last time we've beaten, uh, you know, won the Test Series against Australia and New Zealand yeah. over there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I mean, I was again looking through the teams and your uh, cast teammate, Johnny Ward, played in that uh, uh, final test match playing at prop sort of alongside Cliff Watson and Tony Fisher, uh, yeah. you know, which was great to see. Uh, final game of the tour two days later was against Auckland uh, and the Lions won comfortably 23-8. So uh, in terms of me being uh, Kevin Nostato, uh, the 70 Lions played 24 games over a two-and-a-half-month period. Uh, you won 22 of your matches, uh, lost one, drew one, you scored 753 points, conceded 288 and uh, a total number, uh, you know, total crowds that watch you were uh, just shy of 400,000 spectators. So, you know, you can you can argue who's the best ever Lions team, but it's hard to argue against the 1970 because of these stats and the wonderful players and, and great performances that the, uh, you know, the 1970 Lions uh, performed. Yep. Yeah, there was some great camaraderie on on the tour. You know, uh, uh, it, it, it was it was marvelous to be honest. Yeah, it was great. And I was absolutely delighted that at the Lions dinner, that uh, you know the Rugby Football League, uh, you know, kindly honoured all the players. Uh, it was great to see everybody up on the stage looking so fit and healthy as well. Yeah. So just going on to 1970, <laughs> which was one of those years that never stopped, wasn't it, really? So <laughs> it was uh, the Rugby League World Cup, um, you know, which, which you know, the squad was mainly made up of the 1970 Taurists, uh, probably with the exception uh, of missing Roger Millward. Was Roger injured at the time for the 70 World Cup? I think he must have been. He must have been because he would have most certainly been been on the field. Yeah, had he been okay. I think Mick Shoebottom started at, at standoff. Now it, it was a bit of a strange tournament. Was the nineteen seventy? Um, you know, Australia had Bob Fulton, John O'Neill, who, who would ultimately become your teammates. Um, and um, you know, the the in the group match. You know, you beat Australia, 11 points to four. Sid Hines a try and a field goal uh, and uh, Ray Dutton uh, three goals. You then, um, next up was France and um, 
you know, that they, like I say, were a much better team uh, than they are now, but you beat those 6-0. And then it was New Zealand. I don't think you played in that game. Was that due to injury or were you just being rested, do you think? I'm pretty sure I was injured at the time, yeah, yeah. And it, and it was, uh, like I say, it was a strange tournament because France actually amazingly beat Australia at uh, Odsil. Uh, I think they uh, stand off Shin Capdouce. Uh, you know, scored a couple of tries and a drop goal, and they beat them 17-15. So w- when I say strange, it was the table finished up with Great Britain, um, you know, which you were a, a key member on six points, and then Australia, New Zealand and France all on two points. It was quite odd, really. It's quite easy, you know, to to take things for granted and uh, underestimate opposition uh, but it's something you've got to really sort of work on, work on away from the uh, the playing field in in your preparation. You know, just to mentally prepare yourselves for for um, you know the big games. And uh, I think that's what I enjoyed. I was able to get myself, wind myself right up, and prepare myself. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's um, that's how it can go if you if you don't. Yeah, and then the administrators, you know, were keen on this showpiece final. Uh, so it was Great Britain and Australia uh, who, who were in second place. Um, and the Kangaroos managed to reverse that game with a 12-7. It was a bit of a bad-tempered game at Headingley, um, you know, where it, it was probably a disappointing end to the to the tournament because you were quite obviously, you know, the best team. Uh, but still on that final game, uh, you know, Australia, you know, turned the tide on you. Yeah, I, I, I can vaguely remember, uh, you know, the um, the outcome, uh, but not a lot to do with the game. It's uh, such a long time yeah, ago. Of course it was, it was yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 50-odd yeah. years ago, so, uh, yeah. so we're there. But what was interesting sort of following that 1970, and, and, and it did finish on a disappointing manifier, but for you personally, I think life was just about to change when you were approached by Ken Arthurson. Yeah. Yeah, um, let's see now. It was when I got into trouble, actually, in in um, in Australia, and the I had to get a barrister, of course, to to help me out of those court cases, charges against me. But my solicitor, when I went to see him, he he told me that um, Ken Arthurson was interested in in uh, in getting me to go and play out in Australia and. And uh, that's what happened. Uh, I decided to um, to go over there. I, I mean, Castleford didn't like it. They didn't want me to go, of course. Uh, and I, uh, you know, but it was an opportunity. I really couldn't couldn't refuse, and um, I, I enjoyed it. And it was great. Had five great seasons with with the uh, Sea Eagles within two. Two premierships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and Ken, you know, became a very close friend of you, obviously, in uh, you know, following that uh, introduction. Yeah, look, he, he he looked after me in so many ways. He, he was a lot more than just a CEO of the club to me. He was a great person and a personal friend. Uh, yeah, I, I I just enjoyed that five years and. And uh, winning two premierships, he was meeting people like Bob Fulton Bowes and you know um, Freddie Jones, our captain, uh, Graham Eady, of course. Uh, you know we did we a strong side. 
been a good sign. And I think your first season over there, it was just so close, nineteen seventy one. Uh, I think again, you'd you played brilliantly all season, and you'd finished minor premiers, winning nineteen of your twenty two games. A fantastic, you know, attack defence ratio. Uh, but you lost narrowly, first of all, to South Sydney, nineteen thirteen, in a really tight game, and then you were knocked out of the playoffs by uh, Jack Gibson's St George team, and it was Graham Langley who scored a couple of tries and three goals to put you out. So a fantastic season, you know, in terms of how you played, you know, during the season, but just a bit, you know, unfortunate really that, uh, you know, you you got knocked out at the playoff stage. Yeah, there was there were some really good players over there, you know. Um, <laughs> they're, they're in abundance. Rugby league's their, their, their main sport. Uh, anyway, in, in the Sydney area, it's... It stands out by itself. Uh, uh, so every suburb's got, you know, some fantastic players in every club. Uh, and it was, you know, you didn't always have it your own way. No, no, um, no. But the following year, 72, I think, as you've touched on, was a, a great year for Manly. Um, I had a look at the squads and I could see John O'Neill had joined the squad in 72. But it was basically yeah, Luke, the same yeah. bunch of players uh, that you'd had the previous season. Did he just give you that extra grunt up front? He did, yeah. We were short up front, Um Freddie was he was tough and Bill Hamilton, uh, but we 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 didn't have a really strong front row. And when Lurch came on board, we that's his nick, nickname. Yeah. <laughs> Lurch, he, he 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 gave us uh, another dimension, and uh, we you know. Sarah Randall was in the second row as well. With a strong side. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, again, you finished uh, top, uh, minor premiers, and then in the playoffs you met uh, Eastern Suburbs, uh, came up against sort of the likes of Ron Coote, Narty Beats and Mark Harris. So, again, no mugs really, but, you know, you were just too good for them. Six tries to two, um, you know, Bob Fulton, who you've mentioned. And, I, I, again, you know, you know, prior to this interview, I had a look at the footage, and he was sensational, was Bob Fulton, wasn't he? Oh look, Bob Fulton would would be in in the top three players that, that I've ever seen play the game. He he, he was uh, he was a fitness fanatic to start off with. He, he was sort of approaching about thirteen stone ten as a standoff, uh, thirteen and a half, thirteen ten, and and very explosive. Uh, uh, you know, he, he he was so difficult to tackle. He didn't have all the ball skills in the world, but his running game was just uh, tremendous. Yeah. And again, you've touched on those other players, Graham Eady, Ian Martin, Alan Thompson, uh, Dennis Ward, all scored tries with Ray Brannigan uh, kicking six goals and Graham Eady knocking one over as well. Um, East came back, they beat uh, St George, so it set up uh, the final against the Roosters and it was a, a much tighter affair, but you won the final 1914. Uh, tries by uh, Ray Brannigan and also your skipper Fred Jones as well. Yeah, Freddie was a case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was different, uh, but a, 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 a really good player. But um, yeah, he, he's a good socialiser. All oh, right, very good. And <laughs> yeah. no, he said, you know, again with the clips that I looked through, he, he did look, uh, you know, a useful player as well. Really. So, following season, back to back premierships. I mean, this is something, you know, that most players just dream about. But again, you finished uh, minor premiers by a single point in front of Cronulla 
Um, and it was uh, Cronulla you met in the semi-finals, uh, and actually they would go on to make their way to meet you again in the in the final. Uh, not uh, it wasn't a great day for you. Started off well, you you know you were, you were playing well, but then uh, then you got a, a bad injury really on a late uh, a late tackle following you to uh, a nice kick downfield. Yeah, I think I got king hit actually. Somebody got me from the back. Uh... And, uh, I, 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 as I recollect, um, I was, I was concussed. Uh, I think it was a payback for a previous game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you'd only played them, uh, I think it was about 10 days earlier. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, they were, they were quite a fiery team with Cronulla. They had a, a couple of English guys in there, of course. Um, Tommy Bishop, Cliff Watson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, they had a third uh, English player, which I didn't realise, a chap called Bob Weir. He was on the wing, a, a former Barrow and Warrington player. But right, so, I, I didn't know either. No, no, I thought yeah. I read about it. But Tommy Bishop was such a fiery character, wasn't he? He was, and, and he used to get, he used to start it all off, did Tommy? He was a real pain. <laughs> he, he started going around and Cracking a few players and you'd be, they'd be chasing him and uh, yeah, he was the case. I mean, he, he was a good player, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think there was a headline by Ian Heads who wrote in the Cel- uh, Sunday Telegraph. It said uh, it was a grand final as tough and dirty as any barroom brawl. So it probably sums it up in one sentence that actually. But you had to leave the field, didn't you? Was it uh, towards half time? Yeah, I, I, I got a, um, I, I got a knock off the ball, uh, and I got concussed. Um, and I think I came back, but I, I went off shortly afterwards as well. Uh, so how did you find it in uh, Sydney? You know, the lifestyle, you know, I remember you were coming from sort of the industrial north, which, uh, you know, is Cass, uh, and the area quite different for, for you in, uh, in Sydney. And yeah, Mac- it was. Mac- yeah, I loved it. Uh, we, we lived it on a place called Addison Road, which overlooked the harbour. It was an apartment, uh, top floor apartment, it overlooked the harbour. And so you could see Sydney Eds and, and, uh, did a private access to a, a, a public beach. Uh, there was a sailing club just, uh, 50 meters away from the, you know, which we frequented on a regular basis. Uh, it was a different lifestyle altogether, uh, but uh, uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm, I'm very envious, really. And it, and it and it's one of those. See, well, it's probably the only city in the world, really, where you know you you where rugby league is the number one game, like, like you've said. You know, and uh, you know I, when I went over when I was younger, and uh, of course you you come out of Sydney Airport, and it's just wall to wall rugby league it's uh, that you know it's a it, it's not a sport over there it's a religion really isn't it it is the the the, the back four or five pages of, of the any paper you get in sydney it's it's you know dominated by league uh it's a great city and uh, i i miss the place I, i've tried to live there on three occasions now uh, my son lives over there he's he's up in newcastle we miss him but uh, yeah, I, I, 
always seem to find my way back home. <laughs> so what, what made you actually come back from Australia after the – I think you had another season there, was it, in Australia? I think uh, Phil Lowe came over, didn't he? He had a season or a couple of seasons with you. Yeah, I Phil had two years with us. You know, we um, I stayed there five years on that occasion, and I was there five years uh, and decided to come back again. Um, I, I think what happened was when I was playing for Manly, Phil Bruntar, the chairman of the Castleford Club, asked me to come back and, and said if, um, if I came back, you know, he'd like me to coach the squad. Uh, so I, I, um, I chose to do that. And, uh, I think I was with Castlemont for quite a long time. Um, so I, that was when I got back into the, the, the coaching. How did you yeah. find that, uh, you know, combining playing and coaching? I found it okay. You know, to be honest, uh, Ron Willie, the manly coach, g- gave me a free hand to organize the forwards and, and the set pieces, uh, and as a result, uh, I was thinking about other players' roles as well as my own, and I enjoyed uh, my time as coach at, at, at Castleford, uh, highlighted, of course, by the win in '86, beating uh, my close friend Roger Moore's team at Old Kingston. But yeah, I, 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 I um. When 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 you, you you play a coach, you can make sure that you know things uh, materialize in, in, as far as the game plan's concerned. So it was it's a bonus. It was a bonus. Yeah. yeah. Well, you continued uh, the success at Castleford. Uh, I think you you got through to the seventy six BBC Floodlit Trophy, but you you were defeated by Lee twelve uh, four. But in seventy six seventy seven. Um, you know, it was the uh, uh, sort of John Player number six trophy success over Blackpool Borough. Uh, and you were playing then. I think you'd moved from uh, loose forward to make way for uh, Steve Norton uh, and playing in the second row. But it's still a fabulous team. You know, you, you'd gone from the Ardesty uh, Hepworth era uh, and you were bringing through a lot of really talented sort of younger players. John Joyner was in the team, you know, Phil Johnson, Bruce Burton, Gary St- Stevens, uh, really, Bruce really great good, team. It was a good buy with yeah. Bruce, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, he was the next Alan Hardesty, wasn't it? It was quite a difficult, uh, you know, title to run with, but he had some fabulous seasons, did Bruce? He did, yeah. He was, he was a good standoff and uh, uh, really genuine professional player. Uh, he, he gave added a lot to the club, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, seventy seven, seventy eight, Yorkshire Cup win over Bradford Northern. Uh, you were playing in the second row, and then and then slowly you moved up to the uh, front row, playing at, at blindside prop. As you know, for quite a few seasons, you cor- you continued playing until you were thirty six, which is quite some achievement. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I used to I used to sort of um, manage. That's all. <laughs> but we had we had a strong side. Keith England, of course, was in there. And- um yeah, we we had a we had a fairly strong forward pack. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, uh, that's fantastic. I, I mean, it's been a, I really appreciate your time today. I, I think what we'll have to probably do is do a second podcast of, uh, about coaching and obviously all your wonderful times with the Great Britain team and with Newcastle. Uh, but, you know, today I just wanted to focus on what a wonderful playing career you've had. And it has been a really fascinating listen. So I do uh, appreciate your time, Malcolm, uh, for that. Uh, just before we wrap things things up, uh, we ask our, our guests uh, three questions, um, um, you know, each time. The first question is, Is what was the best ever team you played in? Uh, look, uh, that was, that's a difficult one. I, I um, Castleford without question, uh, but I mean, a close second would be playing for Great Britain, you know, in that uh, 1970 series. Um, there were a lot of camaraderie there, but for sure, Castleford. Yeah, would it be the 69, 70 or, or later? 69, 70 season, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some great players. I remember it well because I was a, a Cass fan at the time, so uh, it was fantastic, yeah. And uh, number two question, you know, being from uh, Ellis Rugby and, uh, you know, sort of our involvement in producing, uh, you know, vintage shirts, uh, which is your favourite shirt uh, and why? I think the Wembley shirt of, of, of um, 60, 69, the, the Castleford Wembley shirt. Yeah, um, such a, a classic, iconic jersey, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. fantastic. I mean, I re- you know, and and I, I love the old vintage badge on there. I'm more of a fan of the vintage badge than the uh, Tigers badge, I'm afraid, really. But uh, I think that that's what happens when you're a traditionalist. Yeah, Kevin, I'm not quite sure whether I'll be able to answer this third question of yours about the young player. Well, no, what what uh, I've changed the question because you mentioned that really. So you know, the question is the best player you've played with. And that's a tough one for you, yeah, because you've mentioned a couple in particular. Um, But which would be, if you had to choose one, who would be the best player you've ever played with? Look, it would have to be. I I can't split them up. Truly, I can't. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, There's there's, there's Roger Millward and Bob Fulton were, uh, you know, absolutely brilliant players, and. They did so much for the team, you know, uh, and I couldn't split them. Uh, the best ever player, I think, uh, is on the same wavelength uh, as them is Andrew Johns. And but there's people like Alan Hardesty and Ellery Anley, outstanding players. I've been so privileged to have either played with or coached these guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, It'd be great if you could add all, all those guys in one team, wouldn't it, really? But, um, oh, yeah. but yeah, I can understand yeah. your predicament there. You know, Bob Fulton, Roger Millward, absolutely, both of them, really wonderful, outstanding players. Just like to finish, Malcolm, and saying thank you very, very much for your time. Really appreciate it uh, to come on the Ellis podcast and spend some time with us. Uh, wish you and your family all the best in uh, in this lockdown, uh, and you know I'm sure you know we'll all get through it, and you know we can even meet for a beer, maybe at next year's Lions lunch, perhaps. Really, that'll be, that'll be great, Kevin, and, and thank you very much as well. It's uh, it's been nice speaking about the uh, the past. <laughs> Fantastic. That's yeah. lovely. 
I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Ellis Rugby Podcast. Today's guest, Malcolm Reilly, who was inducted into the Rugby League Hall of Fame, along with the likes of Roger Millwall, Billy Boston, Neil Fox, Alex Murphy, Johnny Whiteley, Lewis Jones and Brian Bevan, inspired our Rugby League Hall of Fame clothing collections. The garment design, inspired by Malcolm Reilly's career, include a 1969 Castleford jersey, a 1972-1973 Manly Premiers polo, and a 1970 Great Britain Rugby League Ashes winning polo and shirt. To view, visit ellisrugby.com. Thank you for listening to the Ellis Rugby podcast. Check out our Rugby Heritage clothing collections at ellisrugby.com.